0: Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. And I'm Matt. And this month, we're reading Binti by Nanetti Okarafor. Each month, as you all know, we take a new book here and we talk about it over the course of several episodes. Um, this month, we're doing something slightly different than the last couple of months, in that we are taking a trilogy, really, of three really short novellas. Um, I think put together uh the binti books which are binti binti home and binti the night masquerade make up about the length of one novel would
1: you say matt something like that yeah
0: yeah so so this month we're reading them all together um this first week we're doing our pre-read episode as usual Uh, and then every other week this month, we're going to do a post-read episode of just one of the three novellas. So we'll have next week, we'll do Binti, the week after that Binti home, and the week after that, we'll do our final episode where we talk about the night masquerade and then kind of the trilogy as a whole and wrap it all up.
1: Yeah. So, uh, the Binti, the first book that we're going to be doing, and in general, the whole uh, novella trilogy, as Nnedi Okorafor has called it, um, is about a young African girl who's a math genius. Uh, who leaves her family and her village to go to an elite intergalactic university. Um, and uh, as Adrian uh, put it to me, uh, this is sort of a hard SF setting, with a maybe with a soft SF or cultural focus. So some of the action is going to be about intercultural communication and... Mm-hmm dealing with some issues related to that
0: right as well as dealing with sort of issues of i think home and where home is and sort of like what it means to go and come back to home which is uh which i I really enjoyed um some kind of content warnings at the top here there's a fair amount especially in the first book of very shocking and graphic violence that happens um I would say, unlike the other books we've read so far, it doesn't really dwell on that violence for a long time in the same way. It's not like about the violence, unlike the last two books. Um, but
1: it is there. Uh, you know, I feel like it's good to to call that out for folks. Yeah, no, uh, I'm just going to say it's not, um, it's not, uh, not, uh, you know, in some sense, we need to call it out. It's, it's good to call it out. But it's not on the level of, uh, you know, the book we just read, for example, The Sparrow. No, Um, not at all.
0: Not at all. Um, and, and you know, I would say two, um, I don't know. I don't want to get into this too much. Um, but the last two books we read, we had, well, neither of us had read The Sparrow before and you hadn't read Use of Weapons and I hadn't read it for like five or six years or something like that. And we ended up not liking either of those books as much as we expected to. Uh, We picked Binti because we've read the first two novellas and have loved them. Um, And so this month will hopefully be a little bit more like joyful (laughs) of a read. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. These are some of our favorite books Uh of the last few years definitely I mean, they're just wonderful
0: they're they're really good so we're, we're really excited to be able to you know share them with folks To i haven't actually read the last one yet i don't know if you have matt so to get Not to like yet. read that to reread the whole series i've, I've been rereading yeah. them and so to get yeah. to like reread that final or read that final one yeah i'm really looking forward to this i think it'll, be, been it'll be a fun time so back
1: to book yeah. facts <laughs> book facts here's <laughs> here's a book fact adrian did you know i bet you did yeah that uh that uh, uh, Binti won a Hugo and a Nebula. I did know because I voted for it or I nominated it for the <laughs> Hugos, at least. <laughs> I think I did, too. I don't remember. I, I, I have, on some of the last few years, uh, voted, uh, and yep. I have not on others, and I don't remember. Right. I'm but pretty I, sure I, I was nominating
0: I this year because I remember, actually... I read Binti really early after it came out partially because it was getting Hugo buzz. And I was like, Oh, if I'm going to nominate this, I should actually read it and like put more of an effort that year into, to reading novels and novellas and that kind of thing. It was a good year. <laughs> it was
1: yeah. fun. And uh, home was nominated for a Hugo this year and we'll see how that goes. Right. Yeah. Some good, some good
0: stuff up there. Yeah. And then, um, it's, you know, in terms of genre, we don't want to put it in too much of a box here. I think that it, you know, if there's any box that it fits squarely in, uh, it would be like Afrofuturist. It's explicitly kind of this book about that is like African science fiction, and Annette has talked a lot herself about how she views it as less in the tradition of of uh, Anglo science fiction and actually more in the tradition of African literature generally, um, which is cool. It's it's really neat and fun to read, and we'll be talking a lot and about what afrofuturism is
1: yeah i'm i love i love afrofuturism a lot um mm-hmm. so that's gonna be that's gonna be cool and we should say here's a quote uh just to kind of put a bow on this um Nedia is uh uh on twitter and she writes a lot of good stuff she wrote the following about binti quote for the sake of clarification the Binti trilogy is science fiction, Afrofuturism, African literature, fiction, memoir, immigrant literature, juju, realism, hoodoo, its own technology, the future, and many other things that refuse to be labeled. End quote. Indeed. End quote. So that's the good that's a good word on what how to think about what this book is, or these books.
0: Um, so also we should talk a little bit about Nanetti herself. Um, you know, maybe actually this isn't the first in our list, but to start, she's um, Nigerian American. Um, I've I've seen her refer to herself as N- a Nige American. I assume is how that is pronounced. Um, yep, that's how is, she said it. And her name is a uh, is Ebo, which is a particular large and important ethno cultural category of people in Nigeria and in Western Africa.
1: Yeah. Uh, the Igbo people are uh, really interesting and, uh, I don't know very much about them, but I do know that I have, uh, loved the work of a number of Igbo authors. Um, other, uh, authors who have Igbo ancestry include Shimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who is wonderful. Chinua Achebe, uh, who may be the most famous, African novelist, uh, in the English speaking world, probably. Um, Ekiano, um, who's a very, very, uh, you know, lived in, uh, hundreds of years ago and is, uh, best known for writing, um, being one of the very few black Africans of his time to write a memoir in English about his experience, which was pretty extraordinary. And uh, another uh, person of Igbo ancestry is Aimé César, who's uh, not very well known in the English-speaking world because he's a Francophone. He speaks French. Uh, he's actually not from Nigeria, which goes to show the size and, and scale of the Igbo diaspora. Mm-hmm. Um, but he claims Igbo ancestry.
0: Also, you know, kind of worth mentioning that like Africa's modern political divisions don't <laughs> necessarily reflect anything about Africa other than like what European countries conquered them in a lot of cases
1: oh yeah yeah that's totally true i think uh, imes Cesar is actually not from anywhere he's from like martinique i think oh so okay, he's from interesting. No, nowhere near right he actually is a, a member of what you might call the evo diaspora I, you know what i don't i mean that's my impression don't take my word as gospel, please. (laughs) Don't fact check you. Uh, Do fact check me and tell me that I'm wrong. please. (laughs) If I don't, that'll,
0: that'll be a theme. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so a few other things about Nanetti. Um, she was up until very recently, a professor of creative writing and literature at the university of Buffalo here in New York state. Um, she now writes full-time as opposed to doing professoral stuff. At least that's what she said on Twitter. I've seen her say that. It also seems that, you know, the University of Buffalo still lists her as faculty. So who, <laughs> who knows what's going on with that? Um, but she does write full-time because she is currently writing um, the main black Panther comic, and she's the first woman to do so as well as writing Wakanda forever, which is a black Panther kind of spinoff comic about the, uh, Dora Milaje. So she is kind of like owning a lot of the black Panther comic books right now.
1: So cool. Such a good choice. Very, very, very good choice. Yeah. And, uh, not only that, she's got a lot going on her, um, her novel *Who Fears Death*, which uh, I have not read, but uh, I am told by reliable sources is excellent, um, is being turned into a TV series at HBO with George R. R. Martin as executive producer. So that's yeah, pretty exciting. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: I've seen her talk a little bit about that, and it sounds like they're you know there was um mention recently of some of the other writers that they'd brought on and it was a really like great list of writers so that should be that should be interesting I'm looking you know I'm definitely looking
1: forward to that more than I am <laughs> Westworld or whatever else is on HBO. Oh my right god now. it's going to be so much better than, <laughs> did you hear about the thing that the other well let's not talk about that <laughs> now never <Yeah>. mind <laughs> Okay yeah, cut <laughs> edit gonna be awesome. that out <laughs> <laughs> Um I'll let uh, like why don't we we can let um uh, Nnedi Okorafor have the last word on herself. Um, this is a little excerpt from her uh, first Hugo acceptance speech. Quote, I started writing science fiction because I wasn't seeing stories featuring the Nigeria that I knew, to broaden it, the Africa that I knew. My father was a heart surgeon and borderline atheist who grew up in a household where there was a shrine in the backyard dedicated to powerful Igbo deities complexities and an organic blending of the traditional with the futuristic are what I know. Binti is a product of all this and I'm utterly ecstatic that you all loved it enough to gift it with a Hugo. That's so beautiful.
0: That's really cool. I think it's also worth um, pointing out that she has a Ted talk. It's like a short nine minute video that's on like YouTube and the Ted website and everything. And I'm honestly not a huge fan of the whole Ted thing for the most part, but in her Ted talk, she specifically talks a little bit about her background and the kind of like, like a lot of the stuff that we'll be talking about. Um, And folks should, if they like our discussion, they should really like hear her talk about her own stuff. Um, And I I would recommend, you know, Googling Nanetti Ted, and you'll, you'll get
1: there. Yeah. Good call. Um, Yeah. So um, let's talk for a second about why we want to read this book. I mean, we sort of alluded to it a little, but I mean, this was, You know, unlike the last couple of books we read, this, we already know, is one of our Mm -hmm. favorite books of the last few years. It's super fun. We love it. And it has a ton of interesting themes to talk about.
0: Yeah, I think it, you know, it's when we were when when Matt, you and I were talking about what book we wanted to read next. You know, I was very insistent because of this thing of like, oh, I hadn't really liked the last few books of like choosing something that we had, you know knew we would like and knew that we would have a lot of stuff to talk about and that we could be a little bit more positive <laughs> about. Like I felt bad yeah. about how, how much we dug into this. I mean, I, I agree. I think you're right. I think um, you're right. And so this was kind of a natural choice for us in that way. Yeah. Um, and so I'm I'm really uh, – I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my own background with the book really quickly and then let you talk about yours because you might have mm-hmm. more to say than I do. Um, so I have, you know – really enjoyed reading non-European settings in science fiction and fantasy since I read a book called Carnivores of Light and Darkness by Alan Dean Forrester um, in high school. This is not a good, it's not a good book. I'm not recommending it. It's not a very good depiction of Africa or anything like that. But as, you know, a white kid growing up in a white town in a white state, in a, you know, actually Alaska is the least white state, but You know, regardless, and it it, is someone who Alaska fact, right? Alaska fact. But as someone who came from this kind of like very like white and sheltered and like rural American background, you know, reading that was like, oh, this is actually different. Like I'd never particularly liked the Tolkien esque fantasy stuff that I read as a kid. And a lot of my other friends read fantasy and I always read science fiction because it was always like, well, it's, it's different. And the Tolkien fantasy is all kind of like the same European blah, blah, blah that I get in history class, whatever. And I don't really care that much. And reading, you know, reading that book was the first time I remember being like, Oh, like there's this whole other world of science fiction and fantasy out there that I don't know anything about. And this whole other world just of the real world that we can like bring into that. So, um, You know, since since then, this is just to give like kind of my like origin story of like, you know, searching out and really enjoying stuff that would now be classified as Afrofuturist, searching out Asian science fiction, searching out Russian science fiction, searching out a lot of this kind of, you know, like trying to broaden the type of stuff that I listen to um, really consciously, Um, you know, and so. Binti when I read it when I read the first novella a few years back when it was published was just this like breath of fresh air I would I, I would call it, it was just the sense of like oh great like here's such an excellent writer doing something so interesting and so different than the stuff that I normally read while also having these you know very universal themes in it like for all that I was like a you know kid who grew up, you know, like very white household and white city and all this stuff. I also am like a kid who grew up in like a real rural place and then went to, you know, not the best school in the galaxy, but you know, one of the better schools in the US. And like I've had this experience. And so, you know, of going from this kind of like rural lifestyle to like a modern lifestyle. And that was um, you know, really spoke to me about the book. So, so I, I just absolutely have like been in love with this book since I read it and the end up, you know, books more, more appropriately, um, you know, Binti home was really interesting. She actually, I, I mean, the title give, gives a little bit away of what happens there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. What what about I, um, you? I love this book. I love it for, um, all the same reasons that you do pretty much um i also uh there's a, another resonance that it has for me which is that um when i was young i uh, uh got really really uh, involved with the jazz music um i played a lot of jazz i played the saxophone um and i listened to a lot of jazz and uh a lot of the uh some some really you know meaningful moments of my life have as their soundtrack the music of uh, you know, John Coltrane, Miles Davis, um, Ornette Coleman, Eric Dolphy. Some of these guys that are edging from the kind of early sixties into then into the mid late sixties, getting modal jazz, turning into eventually Bitches Brew, Miles Davis' Bitches Brew. Um, and and so through from that, I kind of I was introduced eventually to um, some a lot of music that that nowadays gets categorized as Afrofuturist music. And, you know, for good reason, we can talk about kind of the, the category and how that works and all that stuff. But, but really like these artists were not, you know, they were in dialogue with each other and with themselves, but they weren't, you know, that label didn't exist in the sixties and seventies and eighties. Um, so just, just to say that stuff like "A love Supreme space is a place by Sun Ra, um, the music of Drex uh, which is uh, Detroit, Detroit techno, um, You know, this stuff is really meaningful to me and uh, it has been for a long time. And from that, I, I, you know, having that in the background, when I uh, when I read this book, um, it was kind of amazing to me because it made me realize that this beautiful aesthetic that I already love actually exists in my favorite art form, my favorite art form literature which I hadn't realized, like, it didn't occur to me that, that, like, I never really thought about it, which is, you know, that's, if ever there's, you know, privilege, it's not (laughs) having to think about stuff, you know? (laughs) Uh, So, so it was in a, it was a really cool revelation for me when I read this book for the first time. Um, it, it was like, wow, I, I get to enjoy this in yet another way. This is really amazing. And, you know, so since then I've really started to seek out more of this stuff and, um, I think it's it's a lot. There's a there's an enormous number of things that get categorized as Afrofuturist. It's a tricky category. It means different things to different people. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people like it. Some people don't like it. Some artists who make art that gets categorized as that like the label, and some don't. Um, there are optimistic ways of approaching it. There are pessimistic ways of approaching it. Um, it's an interesting label. It's a provocative label, and it's uh, cool to talk about. Um, Yeah. I should say, you know, having, you know, run my mouth off already, I should say, you know, we I am not an expert. I would say we we are not experts. Right.
0: I mean, I think it's it's worth just like calling out, you know, the kind of like, you know, privilege and where we're coming from of like we are two white people, two white dudes talking about like a black Afrofuturist, like feminist piece of literature and, you know, those things are part of why we like this, but also part of why we you know, are going to attempt to like not be explaining about it. Um, because we aren't actually like experts on this and about the like life experiences lived and kind of the, th- some of the themes here. So
1: that's so true. I am not an expert in Afrofuturism. I am not an expert in feminism. I like those things mm-hmm. and I want to learn more about them. And, uh, you know, and we uh, want to we all- talk
0: about them and share them too. Um, yes, but hopefully yes. do so in a way that is, <laughs> you know, hopefully people will tell us when we get stuff wrong and it can be like a yeah. good conversation here.
1: Totally. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I expect to make some mistakes and I, 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 uh, humbly ask to be, uh, to have them pointed out. I understand it's not my privilege to get them pointed out either. <laughs> I, I, I know I understand that. Um, Right. I'm just going to sort of try to do my best. <laughs> right. But
0: hopefully the takeaway here is that you know, we really like this and we 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 want to like share it and talk about it and like that's why we're we're coming here with with yeah. this book and, and talking yeah. about what we are. So um mm-hmm. I think that's a good kind of um segue into talking about Afrofuturism probably. Yeah. Um because I'd say I uh, sorry, I'll <laughs> interrupting you here. I just realized. Um but as like the book for me kind of like in terms of its main themes, it's like clearly there's this like Afrofuturist element to it of it's set in Africa and it's about like an African like woman going out and kind of like exploring the the galaxy. Um, you know, and in that aspect too, and I would say this is often true of Nanetti's books is it's like all of her books are featured like central women characters and like here, like the, 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 gender of the character actually matters at some points and especially in binti home um and this is you know i would say it's as much feminist as it is afrofuturist at least in this kind of like conception of like feminism of like being about women and about like you know their place and things and how they see things um and then it also you know there are some clear kind of like what I'd call class politics in it, although it's more complicated than that specifically. Um, and that's probably something we won't go like too deeply into. Um, and then finally it's like a school story, you know, it's, it's you know, the earth sea books or whatever it's, you know, like someone goes off to a school to like learn stuff and, you know, it's a very yeah. kind of common, common trope in fantasy,
1: I think in particular. Yeah. Well, so there's a, that's, that'll be a fun one to talk about. I have some thoughts on the school story aspect of, of this book. Um, but yeah, let's, let's talk a let's little bit about there. Afrofuturism. Um, I want to try to rely on the words of people who are smarter than me, um, to talk about this because, you know, like I said, not expert. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I'm going to use the words of, uh, Itasha Womack. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, she is an author uh, film director, um, refers to herself as an Afrofuturist and indeed wrote uh, a book called Afrofuturism, mm-hmm. the world of black sci-fi and fantasy culture. Right. Um, have you, have so, you read that? I have it and I've read it. Oh, you've read it. Well, great. Yeah. I have not, I have not read it. I've read like excerpts. Oh, um, cool.
0: It's good. It's, it's a very good, like foundational text for folks who are interested in this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so this is a quote Afrofuturism offers a highly intersectional way of looking at possible futures or alternate realities through a black cultural lens. It is nonlinear, fluid, and feminist. It uses the black imagination to consider mysticism, metaphysics, identity, and liberation. And despite offering black folks a way to see ourselves in a better future, Afrofuturism blends the future, the past, and the present. Mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty good place to start.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, this this theme and this is something I've heard Nannetti talk about. It's something I've heard. um, I was actually just listening to a a, a, like a back episode of a podcast that I really like called Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood. And it was their their um, their Black Panther episode. And, you know, it's something that they talked a lot about in that episode, too. Like I said, Nannetti has talked about I've seen a lot where there's this element of Afrofuturism, which is you know, black people don't show up in a lot of like science fiction written by white people, especially science fiction written by white people, you know, beyond like kind of like 10 years old. You know, I, I would hope that folks are doing a little bit better about that now. Um, but that, or, or if they
1: do, or if they do, they're cast in some pretty insanely racist. Yeah, roles. bad. Definitely. I, definitely. I, I recently, yeah, I recently read The Drowned World by J.G. Ballard, for example. And there are black characters in this book, but they are horrific caricatures right and they're like Matt like it's 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 obscene. Right. And
0: even even the stuff that at the time was considered, you know, progressive or whatever is often now. Just like I can't believe that we thought that was good. Um, And but, you know, I think I think kind of like the, the one the one thing I've heard kind of all these different people talk about in terms of Afrofuturism is it's a place like it's designing a place for black people in the future. It's black people deciding like this is where we see ourselves in the future and like kind of bringing that forth into existence through. Art, through music, through film, through literature, through all these kind of, you know, like
1: creative pursuits. Mm-hmm. So I thought one thing we could do is um, talk about some examples um, since it's such a hard category to pin down and it's a little bit fuzzy. Well, mm-hmm. actually, I'll, I'll say briefly where the term comes from. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the term Afrofuturism was actually uh, coined by a white guy uh, named Mark Derry while he was having a conversation with Chip Delaney, Samuel Delaney, the, uh, Uh, Black American, the African-American science fiction author. Um, And that conversation is recorded in a book called Flame Wars. It was published in 1993. It took place in 1992. Um, It's, you know, so that's kind of a weird thing right off the bat. You know, this is not a term that was used by any of these African-American or African or otherwise black artists to refer to their own work at least until recently right Uh, I would say the
0: term like I didn't really ever see it until like the mid 2000s or something like that
1: yeah but so so it's a, a little bit of a difficult to pin down thing so let's just go through maybe some artists that a lot of people that either acknowledge themselves that call themselves Afrofuturists or who a lot of other people uh, often refer to as Afrofuturist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, one that comes to mind that we both like a lot is Janelle Monet
0: right and I, I just really quickly i'll say i think that's the other thing we're trying to do here is like talk about the artists that we like not just in a in a like grander sense but also the artists that we have personal connections with in some way oh, yeah, kind of yeah. The these are
1: all going to be people that we really like right we're uh, going to be
0: geeking <laughs> out about like stuff we like yeah. <laughs> a lot in this episode <laughs> yeah totally. Um, right no and so i think janelle monet is um like as I was thinking about it, I think the very first time I heard the term Afrofuturist or Afrofuturism was looking up who Janelle Monet was because she was opening for um of Montreal, like a band I was going to go see and she was opening for them. Um and it was like, Who is this? Like, oh, this is really cool and weird and different. And like, what is this Afrofuturism
1: thing? Yeah. So cool. I yeah. was listening to Dirty Computer again this morning and it's just like, yeah. <laughs> I, I i just really, I really, really like her stuff. She's, she's great. And she's also self, um, she refers to her own work as Afrofuturist. She's sort of self-consciously mm-hmm. trying to do something that she thinks is associated with this set of concepts. And um, I mean, definitely, you know, I think from what I understand about her view of her work, she would consider herself something like, Uh, To be doing something like what um, Itasha Womack was talking about, something that's intersectional, that's nonlinear, that's fluid, that's feminist, that considers a lot of different ways of thinking about identity and liberation. Um, Yeah. Especially, you know, I mean, having just watched Dirty Computer again, it's like oh you have seen you i was gonna ask oh you yeah yeah, yeah no i've, I've yeah. seen it several times i was while well, i was watching it again today it's like you can it's a pretty great description of dirty computer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it really is it really you know? is no and she's someone who's clearly like through her work like in dialogue with a lot of the other artists who are going to be talking about as well as with i think i would assume some of the the more like i guess theoretical kind of stuff uh about afrofuturism which is really cool
1: yeah actually you know what but before we go even further back i want to just kind of take a step back and say that when when um in the original conversation between sam delaney and um mark Derry, uh the the kind of foundational that this there were a few artists who were considered to be in that conversation to be kind of representative of this set of ideas. Samuel Delaney himself is one Octavia Butler is another Sun Ra And I believe parliament Funkadelic are, are, are another. And so, you know, these guys are maybe some of the, some of the longer tenured or, um, less recent, um, examples of artists whose work is often talked about in this, in this context. Um, so to go through those guys a little bit more, Samuel Delaney is a is a science fiction author, American um, African American mm-hmm. uh, and extremely uh, widely praised. And it's worth it's
0: worth calling out that you know, um, Samuel Delaney is gay and was like both one of the first popular gay science fiction authors as well as one of the first popular, Black science fiction authors. Um, that's right, and, and that his, and that his yeah. like legacy there is both rooted in like the queer world as well as the like black world, and I think that's true of a lot of, at least of a lot of the Afrofuturism that I've kind of like read and watched. There, there's this like feminist, queer, black element to a lot of it.
1: Yeah. Now, so no, just the stuff that I love. Okay, Sunra, amazing. Musician, an incredible figure in American art. Um, often he is described uh, quickly as a uh, the leader of a free jazz group, uh, which is which he refers to as his orchestra, Sun Ra and his orchestra, um, spelled with a K, A R K, like an arc. He is a, a musician and an artist who has created who well he's no longer alive, but he created an elaborate mythology surrounding his music. That was connected to ancient Egypt, to African mythology, to science fiction, and to American um, kind of urban mythology, I want to say, like the mythology of uh, like urban life in America. You know, you've in, in Space is the Place, which is maybe his best known, uh, the name of his best known album and also the name of a film that he made. Um, Sun Ra, uh, part of the action of the film takes place in, in, um, I believe it's Chicago. It's certainly an American city. Um, and part of the action takes place in outer space. And so there's that kind of conjunction in, in a lot of his stuff, the, the, co- the combination of these, this Amer- very American kind of myth-making that's associated with ordinary life in America or the myths that surround that and then this cosmic far out mystical associated like mystical kind of myth making that's associated with ancient african mythology um he kind of combines those things together in a really amazing way his music is amazing i love it um and uh it's definitely recommended highly 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 recommended definitely and the last of these sort of foundational figures is octavia butler Um, who is an American author, African-American author, uh, who is also incredible. Like like Samuel Delaney, she's considered a founding, a really foundational figure in um, science fiction in America. Um, She has been around for a long time. She's been writing a lot of critically acclaimed books for a very long time. Um, And I, unfortunately, uh, have not actually read any of them so I have a hard time talking about her work. Um, this is a great,
0: Oh yeah. I was going to say I've read her, um, short story collection. She only ever published a couple or I guess a a few short stories. Um, and they were all collected in a collection called, um, (laughs) I think it's blood child. I could be wrong about that. Um, but it's a very good short story collection. And as a, as a sort of, um, I would say of all of this stuff is maybe one of the more um accessible ways into like the 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 foundations of afrofuturism here right like I would have a hard time recommending someone start with like Samuel Delany's grin necessarily <laughs> whereas the you know her short story collection is just like amazing very easy to read stories really thematically on point stories. And they kind of, I think thematically gets to a lot of the stuff that she wrote about in her Lilith's Brood trilogy or in Kindred or in her other
1: stories that she, her novels that she wrote. Yeah. This is a great example of a moment where I really feel the lack of my own expertise. Um, I've been meaning to read her stuff for years and I am really looking forward to reading it. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: And I think, you know, this podcast is probably a good, good chance to do that at some point here before too long.
1: Yep. <clears throat> cool. Right, so uh, so yeah. I
0: know that, you know, you mentioned that you got into Afrofuturism through jazz Kind of initially, like, what are some of the other groups there that that you're thinking of? I, I mean, you've mentioned a few, uh, uh, you know, kind of in in passing, but like, what you know, sort of like, what about these groups is was Afrofuturist to you? Kind of like, what tied oh, yeah. them all together for you in your head when you're listening um, to them?
1: Well, there's there's an explicit concern with science fiction, which is one piece. Ornette Coleman made an album called Science Fiction. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys, there's a there's just a, a kind of a there's a connection between the jazz of the 60s and then the 70s. Some, some jazz artists work and uh, of, of that era and a kind of forward-looking, very intellectualized um, way of thinking about combining different pieces of culture in new and interesting ways. It's almost like jazz was the was this you know literal vanguard of culture and the wave of jazz like this is a weird metaphor basically A lot of jazz artists like wanted to push themselves to go further and further and further from what they had been doing and further out and further out into new uncharted territory to create stuff that had never been created before, to think things that had never been thought before, to make sounds and ideas that were totally new to the world. And that kind of pushed them into this territory that we now sort of think about as like free jazz or modal jazz or Afrofuturism.
0: Right. Um, these sort of post hoc labels applied to it at the yeah. time didn't necessarily have a you know, wasn't necessarily a part of this larger movement. That's
1: right. John Coltrane made a record called A Love Supreme. I think it was in 1964. And that record is like at the time, it was like way out there. You know, it was considered to be this like incredible piece of avant-garde art. Nowadays, it it still has this this I would say it still has an amazing sense of avant-gardeness, considering how old it is. Um, but um, it's hard to describe a record like that. I recommend everybody go listen to it. But it's definitely you know it definitely has this avant-garde sensibility. It's not necessarily going to be appealing to a, a massive audience, mm-hmm. but it, it's it was an incredibly influential record, and it really spawned a lot of other other other. Uh, Artists, it it prompted a lot of other artists to keep to kind of explore more into into that kind of free direction, and then John Coltrane himself followed it up with Ascension, which is an even more free piece of music that it's hard to describe. Um, It it sort of jazz went from having um, some stuff written down to not very much stuff written down to even less stuff written down. To almost nothing written down, mm-hmm. and and almost no verbal instructions either, except for very theoretical instructions. So when John Coltrane got his his group together to make Ascension, you know, he just gave them verbal instructions. He didn't. He th- th- I, <laughs> right. I I don't remember exactly, but I, my impression is that there, if there was any written music at all, it was like one piece of paper that had like the vaguest possible, you know, couple of words on it.
0: Right. <laughs> you it, know, this, this always reminds me this is going a little bit far afield because it's not Afrofuturist at all, but, um, it always reminds me of John Cage and the other, like a uh, modernist and minimalist composers, um, largely here in the U S. Um, and, uh, I think there, there's a really good book on this, um, by Alex Ross. I think it's the rest is noise. Again, it's something I didn't expect to bring up, so I didn't write it down. Um, but uh, that I took a I took a class on like music and music reviewing and music theory kind of stuff like music journalism was actually the class. Um, and that was a book that really opened my eyes to like that, like minimalist Uh, classical music existed, that like free jazz existed, and that like a lot of this stuff were kind of like interplaying with each other, right? Like in the same way that he might come in and just tell his folks like, hey, I want it to sound like this, like, you know, John Cage has pieces where it's, you know, it's just a list of instructions. It's not, it doesn't tell you what it should sound like. It tells you what you should do to make the sounds in a very kind of interesting way
1: these guys were cross pollinating. I mean, definitely. I don't know. Oh yeah.
0: They were explicitly talking to each yeah. other and like learning from each other and everything. Yeah, that's so right. Part of this is the way that this, you know, like this free jazz influenced, you know, stuff like that, which influenced stuff like Philip glass, which influenced, you know, people like Hans Zimmer, which is, you know, in every single movie that you go watch, <laughs> you know, like this stuff has this
1: lineage kind of throughout yeah. the music it, world. It's all lineages, lots of <laughs> mixing and melding. So anyway, so so John Coltrane was a big influence on Sun Ra. Sun Ra did something very similar when he made spaces to Place in a lot of his other work. Mm-hmm. Um, he he kind of it's a there's a there's a there's a mix between giving like theoretical instructions and telling people to play like a certain emotion or play like a certain thing or like just telling them almost like a sentence of poetry and expecting them to respond to that with music. And then there's also an element of training them, of kind of like being around them, of like telling them how to act and what to wear. Right, and and all just of that jamming
0: was... together and like getting yeah. good at improvising music together. I mean, that's a yeah. skill that groups can develop. Exactly,
1: and all these, a lot of these guys that were played with Sun Ra in the orchestra were extremely good musicians. I mean, in, capable of incredible feats of of specific, like targeted, like Like capable of like taking an idea and converting it into sounds via the technology of an instrument in like incredibly precise ways, and they kind of, almost like, you know, reverse the precision. Like intentionally, Mm -hmm. um, in ways that are really really interesting. That was another thing that, that, if I recall correctly, was sort of pioneered by the free jazz people is the idea of taking people who are incredibly good at playing music and having them play in a way that's not considered good. I mean, a lot of the whales and, you know, I, I, I you know, John Coltrane started doing this thing uh, where he would kind of play too hard he would blow too hard into his horn almost and it would create this kind of rough around the edges sound where you know previously that had been considered specifically to be a bad thing to do like that was considered an ugly sound and he did it on purpose yep it's definitely whenever
0: i'm hot in the mic i'm doing it on purpose (laughs) yes false. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So I wanted to, to talk a little bit cause my, my, you know, kind of foray into Afrofuturism outside of science fiction or outside of literature rather, uh, really did come from music as well, but came from like rap and hip hop for the most part. You know, I would say like kind of the first thing that I would like now kind of in hindsight call, call Afrofuturist would be, um, Blackalicious, which is a, a rap duo, or I guess maybe a trio because they have a DJ as well, regardless, um, that, uh, you know, their second album in particular was the one Blazing Arrow was the one that I listened to a lot of in high school. And, you know, there are like, like, there's one there's there's a lot of songs on that album. Um, you know, there's a song where he just like raps about chemistry, not in any kind of fictional science fictional way, but just like raps about chemistry (laughs) and it's amazing. It's really cool. It's really interesting. Um, and then he has, you know, there's there's others about sort of like, you know, what would a black president look like? You know, this is this is before Obama was even like a guy anyone knew about, um, you know, there, there's these songs on this. And I think this comes out like frequently in rap. I also think of like dead presidents or something like that, where there's a sort of like feeling of, you know you're kind of like, what could a different like political future look like? And I think that's, that's often this theme in, 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 in not just in like kind of the conscious rap type stuff, but also in like, you know, gangster rap and all this thing, there's these themes of like, you know, what would a different America look like? What would a oh, America yeah. that like we're in charge of look like, um, yeah. you know, and yeah. then you have also the kind of more explicitly like science fictional stuff like outcast, I think is a, is a clear, yep. you know, I mean, Andre 3000 doing his like weird thing, you know, comes from like you know liking yeah. Sun Ra and liking these
1: other exactly. guys. Yeah, um,
0: exactly. And so, uh, and you know, and they had he, I would say, has you know, I mean, they have like explicitly like science fictional type stuff. Um, I yeah. also think of uh, Saul Williams, who um is a rapper who has actually like worked with Trent Reznor a fair amount, and they have some really cool albums together. And uh, one of his albums with I think that had Resner producing on it. Um, I know some of the songs at very least did. Uh, is a play on Ziggy stardust so it's a play on you know the uh the the whole like david Bowie like Ziggy stardust story but from like a black perspective and is you know I think called the like you know like liberation and something else of uh of a, of a name that I'm not going to say because I don't feel comfortable doing that um but you know and a lot of his you know a lot of his lyrics are the kind of stuff that I wouldn't feel comfortable saying but it is all explicitly about this kind of like black liberation and like doing Doing it from this context of like, you know, creating speculative futures where like black people are liberated. Um And I think that, you know, you also have Wu-Tang Clan and their whole like Shangri-La and this kind of, you know, like, yeah. you know, growing yeah. up in Staten Island and kind of envisioning like the world outside. <laughs> but yeah, this kind of sense of like them growing up, you know, in like a, a bad neighborhood and like envisioning these like other worlds that are out there and, you know, like taking in this, you know, kind of like Kung Fu and science fiction movies and Wuxia and all this kind of stuff and like meshing Ooh, it yeah. together. Yes. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> into, you know, kind of like this, like, you know, rap that like takes all of these things and, and, and pushes it out into the world. which is really Yeah.
1: Cool. I mean, another thing I want to say about uh, that's worth saying uh, is that um, there's an element of actual technology present in uh, Afrofuturist art. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, going back to the jazz era, but like especially after that, starting with Miles Davis's Bitches Brew and then really continuing into the development of Detroit techno and, uh, you know, house music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's an element of like these artists deciding that they're going to do new things with technology, that they're literally going to invent new ways of making art. I mean, also in hip hop
0: and turntablism, and, you know, yeah, that, totally. I mean, the whole... That too. You know, both being a DJ as well as turntablism as like an electronic music art form and like sampling and all of this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, all of that comes out of the work of a lot of sort of lesser known black artists, guys like Lee Scratch Perry, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, the Scientist. Uh, it's actually, it's kind of interesting mentioning,
0: you know, jazz and like using a horn wrong. And then what being a date DJ is, is, you know, using a turntable wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, right? exactly. It's, it's a lot yeah, of this stuff like using this stuff know? wrong and inventing new techniques and new ways to use it. Um, yeah, where and and it kind stuff, of like brings yeah. out the fact that like wrong is a social construction.
1: Exactly. And that stuff is fundamental to our culture today it's literally the building blocks of everything that is popular right mm-hmm, now
0: mm-hmm. all this
1: stuff remixing the way that technology is used to create digital music i mean you know like <laughs> you listen to uh, the work like I, something else that i really like is the work of the, uh, the detroit techno duo Drexciya. um mm-hmm. they uh are one of the early and very influential um creators of electronic music in America and they um you know their their beats you listen to that and then you go and listen to something like flying lotus or Uh, mm -hmm. or the roots or you know who are who are also doing some similar stuff but they're clearly like massively they owe an enormous amount to the work of these earlier generations of um detroit techno house or like uh jungle or like you know other genres guys who are a lot less well-known cool well we
0: should probably also move on to some of the other you know particularly with, like we've talked a lot about music and we wanted to also like kind of call out some like film yeah. and literature stuff here um, yeah
1: the elephant in the room is of course black panther
0: right um, i mean that just came out and became like the third most sold movie ever in the united states
1: <laughs> so yeah and uh top 20 grossing movie globally i mean it's just right. it's just a global phenomenon right um, i i really like black panther i think you do too oh i love uh, it. it was i mean yeah. it's
0: like by far the best of the marvel movies like putting yeah. everything else
1: aside it's just like the best crafted and the like
0: best story yeah. and the best yeah. film. I mean, it's just perfect i it's think so that's
1: good. i i agree with that i also think um yeah i mean i i've enjoyed the comics as well um i haven't actually read much of the ta-nehisi Coates run mm-hmm.
0: um, i read kind which, of the first like six months or so of it.
1: yeah but uh Huge recommendation if you like comics, check out the Christopher Priest run. It's awesome, it's really cool. Uh, cool, <laughs> it's just good comics. Um, but you know, I wanted to get a little beyond Black Panther since Black Panther is so well known now, it's so popular. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe talk about some other film stuff that that is um that that could be categorized this way, right? I think, um, you know, the the obvious place to start maybe would be Space is the Place, the film. Which is was made by Sun Ra, working with um, right. a filmmaker from Berkeley, whose name I can't remember. I'm sorry. Um, right. And uh, it's a it's a it's an avant garde film. It's an art film um, that tells the story of a kind of messiah like figure played by Sun Ra, who leads uh, black people to uh, another found another civilization in space. <laughs> That's and cool. And it's really cool and it's sweet. And you can see how those themes relate to, to like a lot of the other stuff we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, that's been very influential, uh, as well. Um, and, uh, more recently something else, uh, you know, there's a lot of music, an enormous number of music videos, uh, that play with these themes. We already talked about dirty computer. Another one I would, I would mention that we haven't mentioned yet is, um, I really like, uh, Barkley's, uh, going on that's like a music video that i just really 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 like right it moves me every time i watch it um
0: it is funny that we 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 you know we're talking a lot about i mean you mentioned dirty computer narl sparkly sun Ra. i mean like a lot of the film stuff we're talking about actually comes from this music world And, you know, I, I was thinking about this while trying to think thing, you know, you typed in beyond Black Panther in our notes and I was trying to think beyond that. And I, I came up with a bit of a blank. Like, I think it is something that, you know, I'm hoping we'll get a lot more. Like, I hope that the, you know, one of the lessons taken from Black Panther in the, like, Movie industry is that like you can fund like different and interesting types of science fiction films, including yeah. Afrofuturism, including, yeah. you know, like the, I know the three body problem is getting like made into a, a um, <clears throat> excuse me, getting made into a TV show. Like you can fund this kind of thing and it will like commercially, do well like it's not it's not going to bomb and yeah. I think that 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 kind of myth that like oh like a black person making a black science fiction film that's not going to go anywhere has really prevented a lot of the art that like we otherwise could have yeah. seen and it's yeah. a lot easier for someone to make music than to make a movie <laughs> without that
1: kind of fun definitely definitely I do want to give a quick shout out to a couple of other things blade blade mm-hmm. blade is worth mentioning so another aspect of, I mean you know we talk about science fiction, but there's definitely a fantastical element going on here, yeah. and and I think Blade probably fits. Um, oh, definitely. You know, I would say that, and also Meteor Man, which is a movie that I saw as a kid and really liked. <laughs> Literally, um, never heard of this before. <laughs> meteor Man is the story of a guy in the ghetto who gets hit by a meteor and gains superpowers.
0: <laughs> I love it. That's I, amazing. On,
1: I honestly, you know, I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. I saw it once as a little kid and then once as a teenager. And I haven't seen it since, but I'd Mm -hmm. like to because that was awesome. It's so cool. (laughs) It's got kung fu too. It's great. Right. It's a a comedy, or at least a lighthearted movie as I remember. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like a fun, lighthearted action movie. Right. uh, That still manages to deal with a lot of these themes. Actually, one thing I should –
0: that just came to my mind too, and it's probably one of the very first places I ever saw, like African-themed science fiction in particular, was the – the nineties X-Men animated series. There's a oh, whole yeah. plot line that takes place yeah. with storm in Africa oh. and like going through these like interdimensional portals and stuff. It's literally just popped into my mind. And I remember being just like oh, so yeah. enthused with that as a kid. And just like, you know, that was yeah. like the most like psychedelic and like mind bending of what was a pretty like cool and interesting, you know, cartoon show for kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, that just that just popped into my mind, just kind of like in the in the film yeah. place here. Storm
1: Storm, I believe, is Kenyan, which is a good segue into Wanuri, Ka, Wanuri Kahu. I probably saying that wrong, but Wanuri Kahu is somebody who I only learned about doing research for this podcast, um, but who's really really cool. I believe she knows Nineti Okorafor. For uh, Wanuri uh, Kahiu is a Kenyan filmmaker, and a woman, obviously. Uh, and uh, she is the first—I, I, th- I want to say—the first African film director to have a film screened at Cannes, hmm. um, which is pretty cool. Although it's kind of amazing that that didn't happen until recently. Uh- I mean, it's <laughs> not that surprising actually. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not surprising, but it's yeah. It's not surprising, but it's amazing. <laughs> um, uh, so she has a film that you can watch uh, online, I believe, for free called Poomsy, which we will link in the show notes mm. that I recommend.
0: We'll link to everything in the show notes. Yeah, also, I these. noticed that the, some of the links weren't showing up correctly before. So I'll, I'll make sure that they actually show up this time in various podcatchers.
1: Sweet. All right. So real quick, I know I've been talking a lot, but like, (laughs) just to kind of, we mentioned a lot of literature already, right? Um, But the one one kind of point that I wanted to make is, you know, there are some, there are some very famous, or at least, you know, better known, I suppose, um, uh, uh, African American authors of science fiction. Um, And we definitely want to talk about them people like Samuel Delaney, Octavia Butler, who Mm -hmm. we've already discussed. Um, there's also N.K. Jemisin, who is amazing. She is younger than those first two. Right. Um, she I have read, and I love her books. I think we're mm-hmm. talking about doing one of them for the podcast. Uh, I definitely want to pursue that.
0: Right. We she- had, well, we had talked about doing one of her books even earlier, but they are much more deeply fantasy than science fiction, so we decided to to hold off on them a yeah. little bit. Um, yeah. But they're, I've... um. Actually, I saw her talk a little while ago. She gave a talk on like, you know, geology um from her it was like her in conversation with actual geologists, which is really cool because they were fans of her work. So her most recent work is called the Broken Earth trilogy and it's about like like geology magic. <laughs> um, you know, mm-hmm. it's a fantasy world where like geology and magic are really closely intertwined intertwined and to hear um the geologist she was talking with talk about this, like they were really big fans of her work and there are apparently like a bunch of people in the kind of academic geology community who like really enjoy it. So it was, it was really cool to, um, to hear her talk about that. Um, As well as, you know, I mean like a lot of the themes of her works, you know, there's the blood moon duology, which are definitely kind of like Sun Ra take this like Egyptian kind of like setting and a lot of like Egyptian mythology and weave that into a, you know, of a more fantasy setting. Um, and then I'd say that the broken earth is very explicitly about like revolution and kind of, you know, both the good and the bad yeah. of revolution and what revolutionary change looks like, which is, I think, a you know, pretty common theme in Afrofuturist literature in particular, but also in visual art and music and everything else.
1: A connection that I wanted to draw to talk about uh, Afrofuturism uh, is, is, uh, something that occurred to me, uh, when I was thinking about preparing for this podcast, I remembered, um, back in college, I read, uh, a cyborg manifesto, which is a yeah. well-known, um, piece of feminist theory. And I remembered that. And I went back and I, uh, reread at least part of it. Cause it's very long and dense and, uh, pretty, um, you know, it's, it takes a long time to read. Uh, so I, you know, didn't have time to read the whole thing again, but, um, it's an amazing piece of work and it actually has a lot in common with Afrofuturism. I think it's a way, it's a, it's a, it's a way to approach thinking about this stuff from another angle. So according to a cyborg manifesto, one part of one thing that we have access to as, uh, that feminists might have access to, um, looking at the future, thinking about, themselves and their relationship to the culture is the idea of rejecting and breaking down all essentialisms rejecting and breaking down all boundaries between things Mm -hmm. so there's a Mm -hmm. there's a way that you know categories as we know them fall apart yes in the face of a new mode of thinking and everything is remixed into a new world Yes. Where things just work differently. The same tropes have different valence. And um, that's part of what it means to be a quote unquote cyborg, according to the Cyborg Manifesto. And that's I mean, that has a, a lot of resonance to me, at least on a personal level that that sort of yeah. helps me understand what I'm looking at when I when I watch, you know, space is the place the movie. You know, what what are you look like? That's that's a that's a sophisticated enough piece of art that you might really benefit like i I certainly have benefited from using from having guides to help in my approach to it and and a cyborg manifesto is one such really really quick really really quickly i wanted to make the point that actually a lot of the stuff um like uh you know like the work itself the history of afrofuturism is non-linear and there are works uh of afro that you might That might be considered in an Afrofuturist lens that actually uh, were created a very long time ago. So Mm -hmm. W.E.B. Du Bois, in fact, Du Bois, sorry, uh, wrote um, two, at least two that I know of, um, science fiction stories. Mm -hmm. One in like 1908, I want to say, and the other in the 20s. Um, And they're straight up science fiction, um, which is really interesting. I mean, he He's obviously best known for the souls of black folk and, uh, other work, other, uh, nonfiction work that he did and the right. founding of the NAACP. <laughs> right. I was going to say that. I think yeah, the yeah, biggest yeah. one is his organizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And his organizing. And he's well known for a lot of things, none of which are science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting to think of somebody, uh, with that amount of influence, um, and with that important and, uh, wide ranging, um, of an intellectual contribution. Um, it's interesting that he also thought about science fiction and yeah. self-consciously tried to produce, some. Well, Did produce I, some.
0: I, I, I might be uh, going to go out on a limb a little bit here, put it, th- there's like, I think often and for a long time in America, been an audience for, a black audience in particular for science fiction. Right. Like I, I, a lot of the, the black people who I know have like read comic books for a very long time and you know, like it, like enjoy this kind of thing. Um, and that they have been kind of like shut out from being creators ha, is, is kind of like a tragedy, a tragedy in a lot of ways. Um, and so in, in a lot of ways, it's like not surprising to me that someone like W E B Du Bois, who was thinking in such a big way, like thinking as an activist and thinking as an organizer and someone who founded the double or the NAACP, like that he would think in terms of science fiction, he would think in terms of like creating new futures, right? Like that's a lot of what political organizing is done well as it's like envisioning new futures and like setting out to create them. Um, and so, you know, I mean like that, that, that folks like that would, would write, science fiction and would write in a, um, uh, in a genre that does so well at, at creating like analogies and creating metaphors and creating kind of like, like deep settings in a way that like, it makes it easier for people to kind of like see what's going on. Um, it's not surprising to me (laughs) at all. Um, you know, I think that's why there's also been a lot of, you know, like, like folks like, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin who you know think in this very kind of anti-colonialist way I think it's part of why she writes science fiction as opposed to literary fiction because science mm. fiction is actually a really good lens to talk about that
1: mm. that's well put alright let's move on maybe to some other themes since we've spent so long on Afrofuturism
0: yeah definitely I think you know the the kind of Maybe a segueing a little bit from the the cyborg manifesto into the just the feminism of the book, and you know, and I, I don't mean this in feminism in terms of like a like theoretical feminism necessarily. Um, I don't know anything about Nannetti's, you know, kind of how she thinks about herself or about feminism or anything I simply mean it as kind of descriptively of like the book like features this very like central female character who like thinks differently because of her gender and whose like gender is like important especially in Bindi home and the way that she relates to her parents and relates to her brothers and relates to you know like her family and the way that they see her um you know, and and I I, I don't know, I just wanted to like call that point out that you know I think that you know you also look at something like Janelle Monae's "Dirty Computer" where this sort of like you know pink and the song the song pink and it's like so much about femininity mm. and being strong yeah. at the same time and you know the kind of um what what uh, Itasha said um about like Afrofuturism being highly intersectional like that that rings very true to me that there's often you know, it's not just the black experience. It's also the black woman experience or the black queer experience or, you know, Janelle Monet, like the black queer woman experience and like how all of these things interact with each other. And, you know, the overall point is just like, even within these communities, there's like strife. And even within these communities, you know, like, oh, a, yeah. like a, a, a black woman has a hard time in like white society as well as in black society because she's a woman. Um, mm-hmm. And that, yeah. you know,
1: intersectionality.
0: Right. And that like, you know, this, this sort of, you know, I think this book like grapples with that. And I, I enjoyed that it grappled with that in a very kind of
1: like a real way. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I, in a way, I mean, I think feminism actually has like, you know, in some sense, intersectional um, isms are all kind of connected. And um, there are a lot of connections that one can draw. Um, But beyond the connections one can draw between feminism and Afrofuturism or any of the other themes just by itself on its own merits, um, you know, this is this like you're saying, this is a book about uh, a young woman who is um, growing up and it's uh, totally separate from everything else we've been talking about. It's a story about a young woman Mm -hmm. who's becoming an adult. And how does she do that? And what challenges does she face? How does she develop a way of being herself in the world that makes sense and that is true to, um, her values and, you know, how does she negotiate that process while at the same time having this family who loves her, who maybe have their own expectations, Mm -hmm. um,
0: Yeah. So it's I don't know. I I enjoyed that aspect of the book, you know, and I think that ties into this kind of fact that it is like a school story. And there's also, you know, I I think actually some of these other themes will be better served talking about in the post reads about those particular books where those themes really get kind of hammered home. So I'm happy to kind of like you know, we wanted to talk a little bit about other similar books, which we often do. Obviously, like a lot of the authors that we've mentioned so far kind of fit within this like Afrofuturist lens. Um, but there's also kind of like some of these other lenses to to talk about. Um, I think I'll, I'll call out one really soon. I know you had, you had a lot more than I did. Um, but you know, one thing that I was as I was reading this book, I kept coming to mind of uh, The City and the City by China Mieville, which is a very different novel in like a a million different ways. Um, But there's some there's some setting similarities there, as well as this thematic similarity of like, you know, uh, The City and the City is about kind of like existing in these liminal spaces, like between two different social orders. And there's definitely an element of that in the Binti novels as well, where Binti as like a character has to Bridge these gaps between her kind of traditionalist family and then like a, you know, galactic uh college, as well as gaps between different alien races who are warring with each other. Right. As well as gaps between like humans and these alien races. And she often has to like bridge these gaps and kind of exist. And, and as such like exist in the liminal space where she's not of like one or of the other completely. And that, you know, I like that again like you know coming from a small rural town and living in New York City now. <laughs> I mean gone to like an Ivy League school like I definitely uh I feel that where it's like I don't feel totally at comfort in like any of these um communities. You know, it's like I go back home and and it's, you know, I don't feel like I belong there anymore. I mean, I never particularly felt like I belonged there, but, you know, it's particularly now, whereas, you know, when I was going to school, I also felt like, well, I'm from this small place, so I don't belong here. And there's that there's that sense, I think, of like moving through communities and never quite feeling like you fully belong in any space that you're in that Benty does very well for me. The City and the City also did really well for me.
1: Mm hmm. Uh, I'm actually going to just call out one book, and we can save some of this other stuff to talk about in a later episode. Um, but I did want to mention Karen Lord's um, work, and in particular, uh, Best of All Possible Worlds, um, as a book where you know that's a book where I think you know if you like this book, um, you might like that book. If you like that book, you might like this book. They're they're similar enough; they deal with a lot of similar stuff, but they're you know they're d- different kinds of books. So. Uh, Best of All Possible Worlds is a book about a smart scientist woman who deals with adult intercultural dilemmas in space. <laughs> 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 and um it's also a love story and it's also um interacting with a lot of science fiction tropes in a more um lighthearted way. Mm-hmm. Um so there's certainly a lot of riffing on like the structure of the book in some sense is like this meta riff on Star Trek. But anyway, without giving too much away about this book, um, I think Karen Lord's best of all possible worlds, uh, a book, which I very much enjoyed, you know, is something that you can kind of think of as like, you know, without, without putting Binti in a box without saying, Oh, it's just like this book. Cause it isn't, right, it's, a, no. it's its own thing. It's really very much its own thing. Right. Which Neither is, is it just like the
0: city of the city in any way, just to be clear. I mean, right, very, right. Very, very right, different. Right.
1: Yeah. But, but, you know, uh, these are books that you might like if you like this book and vice versa.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So I think, you know, the other thing that I wanted to mention just about, um, the Bintine novellas in particular, we keep say it's funny. I keep saying, and we, we keep saying like this book, even though it's like these books is <laughs> <It's Right>. more <laughs> accurate. Um, but the Binti novellas in particular is that they were actually written as three separate books. So it's not a single book that was like split up and published separately. She wrote Binti, put it aside, published it, realized she had more to write, write, wrote home, put it aside, you know, and real knew she was going to write a third one. But at that point didn't actually know what the third one was going to be. Um, and so I think it's important to like, you know, come out like we're reading these as like one thing, but they're also not one thing. It's not like Lord of the Rings where it's just a single novel and three editions. Like this is like three separate stories that are each kind of their complete own story. Um, and then also, you know, and we've kind of called this out a few times about not wanting to put it in any particular box, but, uh, I've seen Nanetti herself say not to try too hard to compare it to other science fiction novels in particular. And I think that this is her thing of like, you know, she is, uh, you know, it's obviously science fiction and, you know, no, no one's saying it's not, but it also comes from a different tradition than a lot of like uh, the science fiction that at least I am, you know, familiar with reading and that it comes from this kind of like African literature tradition as opposed to like being, you know, from Isaac Asimov or Arthur C. Clark or Ray Bradbury. Um, and so that that I think is worth kind of calling out that like, you know, you do, like if, if you get to pieces of it that like don't feel science fictional or don't feel like what you're used to, that's good. I mean, that's part of why we chose this novel is because it does work differently than other science fiction. And, and you know, it's awesome. It's really fun. Um, and it is still very distinctly science fiction. I mean, it's definitely fits in that genre, no matter how you define that genre and, you know, defining genre as its own whole thing. I, I don't really particularly like calling things one thing or the other, but like, you know, if you yeah. like those folks, you will also like this.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like you said, one of the things we like about this book is the fact that it's genre bendy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, that's a, that's a, that's a positive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Cool. Um, So, you know, this is one thing we usually end with. But who do you who do you think will like this book? People who like free jazz? (laughs) I mean,
1: yeah. Like if you like like that was my experience, right? Like that's kind of why I went into all that. Like I. Like a lot of things that I have later learned turned out to be Mm Afrofuturist. And if you think that might apply to you, you got a good chance of liking this book. Right, (laughs) right. Now, you know, what, however we end up feeling about that label and, how, you know, I think that if you've enjoyed any of this discussion that we've been having, any of the themes we've been talking about, any of the other authors we've mentioned that might be related, um, then yeah, you've got a good chance of enjoying this book. Honestly, I, I this- would
0: say, oh yeah, I, I was just going to say too, I mean, like it's, especially Binti is short, it's Hugo Award winning. It's really, really good. Like, you know, if you're still on the fence, just pick up the first one and read that and then decide where you're going to do with the rest. I, w- I would say like it's a really short read. I mean, it's literally like a sit down in one setting kind of read yeah. um, and like do that and then decide from there if you want to like get the rest. I think the other two are a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely... I think there's a really low barrier to entry to at least like reading and enjoying the, the very first one, which is part of why we're excited about this. So, so, you yeah. know, who will like it? Like everyone should like it. It's real fucking good. Yeah. Come on guys. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> Everybody should like it. Honestly, it's better than a lot of the stuff we've been mentioning, which is yeah. itself very good.
0: <laughs> right. Right. And part of the hard part about like doing this pre-read I think is like how <laughs> it does kind of stand on its own in certain ways and is, you know, like it's hard to mention like books that
1: compare. It would have been easy for us to not do this, (laughs) but I mean, you know, it's fun. It's fun to, it's fun to talk about this stuff and uh, think about it.
0: Well, I hope folks have enjoyed our conversation and that it's been like helpful for some people. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there are going to be people who come into this episode knowing just like way more about Afrofuturism than we do. And, you know. Please call us out on anything that we've gotten wrong. Please, like, you know, I I always say our Twitter is, you know, like, you know, kind of plugging it. But also, like, you know, our email is spectologypod at gmail.com and our Twitter is at spectologypod. And I'm mentioning this because, like, I'd love to actually hear from people. I'd love to, like, get more recommendations for stuff that fits it within these genres that we've spoken about. And, you know we will likely if if folks feel comfortable with it also like call that stuff out on air and say that mm-hmm. listeners have you know like mm-hmm. mentioned x or y or z to us if it's relevant. So um you know like please please do with that kind of stuff and like you know let let us know what you think too. Yeah, you know, we'll be we'll be recording these episodes and getting them out here soon and you know i'd love to to know how people think about the book um you know probably with the way this is going to go we're not going to finish the record on the last book before this one comes out so we can actually like take reader feedback in a more immediate way than we would be able to with some other books that we've done
1: sounds good hope you enjoy guys
0: Cool. Yeah. Thanks everyone. And also, you know, the usual outro, thank you to uh, WJ on SoundCloud for our music to Noah Bradley at noahbradley.com for our art, uh, you know, spectology at Gmail and Twitter. Uh, that's that's it for social media for us at this point um you know and I'll, you know i will be tweeting to a lot of like links to this kind of stuff as well as Afrofuturist like visual art and you know like movies and songs i like and stuff like that over the course of this month so if you like this kind of thing definitely like hang out there and you know tweet at us and and whatnot cool all right well thank you everyone bye
1: thanks guys All right, I'm going to stop recording.